0: Hey everybody, it's Ken Navarro, and welcome to my podcast, All About the Music. Today's date is May 1st, 2020, and my special guest today is drummer Greg Granger. You're hearing him right now playing on my new song, When We Dance. Greg was weaned on the grooves and rhythms of bands like Parliament, weather report. He started drumming at the age of seven and by the age of 14 he was awarded a scholarship to the highly respected Peabody Conservatory of Music and John Hopkins University. From then he went on to play with the band Pockets which was the protege band of Earth Wind and Fire. Greg and his brother the great bassist Gary Granger went on to produce three albums with Pockets and toured the country in support of those records. In 1988, Greg was selected to play with Whitney Houston on her very first tour, a world tour that took Greg all over the world and brought him to the attention of many musicians and fans. In the early 90s, Greg took some time off from touring to study computer programming and audio engineering, eventually becoming an accomplished and sought-after producer. In 1993, along with his brother Gary, He built Hillview Studio, producing a number of local artists as well as music for national advertising campaigns like Umbro Sports and ABC Television. Greg remains busy as a producer and as a session player, maintaining a rigorous touring schedule with artists as diverse as Kim Waters, Acoustic Alchemy, and Mesa. He's also the house drummer for PRS Guitars and plays regularly behind rock legends like Santana. And if this weren't enough, he's currently working on a new album for Granger, his band with his brother Gary, and he's co-founded G-Funk, which I would describe as the funkiest jam band on the planet. So today we're going to talk with Greg about his contribution to my new album, Into the Light, and specifically my hit song, When We Dance. So I had a nice long conversation with Greg, and let's pick it up. Where he and I began to talk about the process of putting together his new drum studio. Do you still have a lot of the equipment you used to have, like the mics and all that those kinds of things? Yeah,
1: so what's going on with the recording setup is when when my when my home personal life kinda changed a little mm-hmm. bit, everything is still around, right, but nothing is in use. So right, right. what what I am doing now. Is reorganizing. Yep. Getting getting together. I'm going to have to revamp where the studio is. It's probably going to be more over at this side, which is six thirteen, as opposed to next door, right? Which is sixteen. Right. So we'll probably move the whole board over there because you know originally the drums were just.
0: Yes, I. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm doing a whole restructure thing. It, it wasn't that important uh, in the past. Because we weren't recording, we were out gigging
0: and working. Right, right.
1: When we needed to record, we had other studios. But
0: sure. now you know, I want to get back in it. You know, well, it's the I kind want- of thing too where you know, I mean, you in and of yourself offer a lot to people all over the world. If you, if they can, you know, work with you that way. I, I and and then if you add you and Gary doing it together, whether you whether you work literally in the same place or you work separately. With the drums, obviously, you have to have your own acoustic right. environment to do it. Gary can plug into a computer, basically. I mean, that's simplifying it, but, you know, it, yeah. it's obviously a much easier process. Um, drums, it's like, frankly, it's like the complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what it takes to, to properly record drums. Uh, yeah. But see, that's the other thing that you offer that, that that isn't necessarily typical. You really know how to record well in the first place, and you really know how to record drums well. And so when they get you, they get not only great playing, but they get you know great sonics. And that, that isn't always necessarily the same thing. I see now a bunch of drummers I never saw before talking about how they're available for remote recording. And I'm thinking... Right having recorded drums a fair amount myself, and not particularly well, but, but certainly I put in a lot of time doing it, I, I know how hard it is. You know, it's probably the ultimate thing to record properly. Um, and yeah. uh, it's such a complex thing, you know. Um, and so when I see it might be a great drummer saying they do it, I'm thinking, yeah, but what does it sound like, you know? Because uh, I know there's just no way around the time and the energy to learn how to do it and then just doing it a lot, which you've done. Um, so that's a really, that's, that's a lot to offer. So, um, I guess obviously the technology has changed a lot since you had the studio set up. Had you guys gotten into digital recording or were you still using the ADATs and that sort of a system?
1: Yeah. So we, we had just started getting into the digital, like just, on the beginning of it, um, the way that we did everything before the phase one and two, and, 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 and any other project, we did most of the audio stuff. The audio recording was on eight ads, and then we did you know, we did the programming with the uh, the, and then we ran them together. Certain things that we, we wanted to treat differently, we would record those onto the right.
0: ADATS. Oh, yeah, I used to work the exact same way, so I know, okay. I know, and a lot of people did, I think, you know. they...
1: We probably got that from you. <laughs> so, uh,
0: I, I think you guys yeah. were well into that on your own. But it, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it just, you you could sync those ADATs to the, or the computer would sync the whole thing together. And, and um, so, yeah, you had just started to explore the, the digital possibilities.
1: Just started to. I mean, in fact, I had a, uh, I had a power switch issue on the computer You know, instead of following my first mind, which was take it to the shop, I had a buddy who did computers and he, no, man, I can fix this for you. And you know how that story turned out. He did something, changed my hard drives around. I mean, when we got it back, we just couldn't find the material. And then that's when some other stuff went down. And then we just said, you know, okay, we'll just back away from this until we can have the time to put back in and invest in it again. Which is where we are now,
0: right? Um, right.
1: Agree. I, I know that Gary and I spent uh, a lot of time when we first set the studio up, just going over the drum sound. You know, t- uh, tweaking it. Be- and being a drummer, I-, I wanted, I wanted any drummer to come in, sit down behind my drums, and play, and it automatically just sounded great. You know, in the headphones for them, and in the room, yeah. Um. I've gone to so many great studios, and it's it's just a hard time to get the drums to feel right. And a lot of times, I'll end up going, "Hey, okay, that's that that's perfect." When it's not, I can't spend two hours on someone else because session.
0: you're a very generous, nice man, and you <laughs> want everybody to be comfortable. And and but in the end, you're the one who has to perform. And if you're not comfortable, you know, it. it you do. it. I know everybody's been through that to a different degree. But with drums, again, it's so critical because you're playing many instruments at once. Not everybody understands that. Drums is plural. <laughs> and it leaves out cymbals, you know? I mean, it's like you're playing many things. And it would be, I guess, like me as a guitar player if... Four of the strings sounded pretty good, but every time I played these other two, it made me cringe. You know, you know what you do? You stop, stop playing those two strings if at all possible. You know, and it 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 can actually affect your performance because you make choices. Uh, I think the better musician you are, the more you're going to do that. You know, you're going to try to make your performance suit what you think is going to sound best, um, yeah. based on yeah. what you're hearing. You know. Um, yeah, that's great. I, well, I, I know having, uh, done at least one or two projects that you did, you recorded things in that room and worked in that room. I know what it sounded like. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad you're getting that back together. I think it's a wonderful time. I mean, I know it's a cliche, but, you know, make lemonade when you got lemons and, Mm -hmm. and this could go on for quite a while in terms of, um, you know, I don't know. I just see. I definitely see you opening up a whole nother thing uh, in terms of remote recording. I mean, that's how I'm almost completely working now. Um, wow. You know, it's nice to bring people. I, I just did a couple projects in the last week and a half for other people, um, okay. which, um, you know, very two very different musical things, but both of them using me as like a feature. You know, uh, one of me when I co-wrote the song Um, you know, so they were like for hire, but it was interesting to do them completely, you know, without any interaction except email basically and text (laughs) messaging, you know, but, but it, it, I think that would just really be a great, I'd love to see you get into that just because I think it'd be wonderful for people all over the world to be able to have access to your talents. And, um, and then you and Gary together, oh my God, you know, now you have this like, powerhouse rhythm section then can stylistically do whatever you want. And, um, you know, it, it um, I think the other thing I always feel about working this way is that it gives you a lot of um, artistic freedom, you know, and you can try stuff. When you're in the studio, it's like you don't want to waste time, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I don't want people to hear all my experiments. Uh, <laughs> so I might be less likely to experiment, but when I'm working on my own, it's up to me if I want to spend an extra two hours trying stuff out. And I more often than not do, if I have the time, do that. you know? So I actually feel like I like the freedom of it. And I, I like that the client, so to speak, only gets to hear what I want them to hear. Yeah. And I, no. ne- I never censor myself because of that. I mean, I censor myself plenty in terms of what they never hear. But I don't right. censor myself in the act of creating which I think in the studio, I'm not saying that's what any you do, but I know I do. I'm going to tend to play what I'm sure is going to work. And that might not always be the best thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Gary and I did exactly that. There there are ideas that we would try. And and you're right. you, You get a chance to take four or five or 10 takes, take a break, some coffee, get some lunch and come back down and do it from a different angle with a different approach. I do miss that. I do miss that. But what that also taught me is it kind of gave me an idea of of what I know works if I'm do if I had to do something with someone else in the studio. You know, help me to get to that place a little sooner.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, but it's sort of like your process tightens up, maybe, or I mean, focuses. Because uh, you know what works, you know, and how do I get there more quickly? Yeah. Uh, the time will come when everybody's working with other musicians again, and it's not going to last forever, but it's a little hard. I mean, the performing thing really does seem like that's a ways off. Right. Um, no. I, I don't mean to sound negative. It just It's hard to imagine any crowds of people you know, in, in the way, the places like the, that you perform, you know, you're not performing in little clubs. You're performing in small theaters and big festivals. And, you know, it's a little, little hard to imagine that happening until we're into next year. I, may, maybe I'm wrong. I know I'm on tap to go to um, Majorca and do something in October. They had to move it. It was supposed to be three weeks from now, I <laughs> think. They had to move it, but who knows if that'll happen, you know, October may be kind of soon. I don't know. How, how right. about you with Acoustic Alchemy? I mean, I, I know you tour with Mesa, Acoustic Alchemy. You still play with Kim Waters. Um, mm. I saw, on, I don't know if you're still do, still we're doing it, but playing with sax Pack. Um, what, right. what do you think? Have you heard anything from a lot of the people that you work with? Or, or have things been moved back tentatively? Or how, how's that looking in your schedule?
1: Yeah, so right, right now, um, the Acoustic Alchemy tour, our summer tour, has been canceled, um, especially with them being in the UK, because, you know, the timeline for the countries, how they're dealing with this virus... Totally it's
0: different, crazy. right, that's right, yeah. So they are
1: they are a little bit behind where we are, and we're still not in a good place here in the U.S. So U.S. is canceled. Nothing from kim waters so all of that stuff is gone and and the, the main groups that i'm working with right now are uh, acoustic alchemy and kim waters uh obviously the granger project Sure, uh,
0: always yeah
1: this has allowed us to put a lot of time and energy to, and refocus that and then i'll do some pickup stuff uh with jesse jay and uh, cindy bradley and mm-hmm. different oh yeah companies. i'm
0: sure i mean you know you're in demand for Uh, You know, for hire for this gig and that gig, and whenever your schedule allows. I mean, I couldn't get you on my gig last November. <laughs> of course, you had an extremely good reason.
1: <laughs> that wasn't for, I mean, I would have loved to have done it. No, no, I know. I,
0: I'm kidding. But I, I mean, even so, you know, there's a good chance you wouldn't have been available just from, with work, your work schedule. But yeah, your son was getting married, obviously. That, that's a, yeah. I, I understood. It took me a few days. No, no, I understood immediately. And I went, yeah, naturally, the one gig I take for the whole year it's the day of, of Greg's <laughs> son's wedding but
1: uh, well, if look here's something in the future if you got something going this year on November 13th then because Gary's daughter's getting married on that day so oh is that
0: right Oh that's great good and then there's far enough out. Did they have to postpone or was that when they were setting it up?
1: That's when they was that's the original date good they,
0: good. so that's far enough out that that I think that's realistic and it can happen. Yeah, so yeah. we can do your gig on the 14th. <laughs> right. Or the 12th, mate. No, not the what? 12th, because that's going to be the the, the dinner.
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm, I mean, I just went back, man. Wow, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. You said Melissa's getting married. I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> I, I remember know.
1: Sessions in your house when she was you know, just a little girl. Oh, t-
0: baby real or toddler, you know. Yeah, yeah because she was born in 1990. And we started doing stuff together as early as I think—not on my music. I think I think the very first thing we did might have been '94 with uh, keyboardist Dan Reynolds. You're right. Um, well, I always you- remember that because because that was such an eye opener for me. Well, you know, I moved back from after spending eight years in L.A. and mm-hmm. and um, you know, part of being an L.A. musician is you take a pride in the fact that you're an L.A. musician. Um, even though most of the people there are from Ohio and Buffalo and, you know, but they're the best people, you know, from all those areas typically. So, you know, um, when we moved back here, it was for a number of reasons, family being one of them. When I say right. back here, I mean in the D.C., Baltimore. Um, but I sort of expected that it would just be a step down in terms of the the quality of the musicians, and, um, and and I kind of experienced that a little bit. It was just a different standard, you know, because um, they weren't necessarily competing like there were, I mean, where I lived in LA, there were 10 guys. If I didn't, if I couldn't do a session, there were 10 guys who could walk to the studio who were, who were just as good as me as, or better. You know what I mean? So that yeah. kind of attitude affects how people approach what they do. But anyway, so I was just producing a session Uh, an album in my studio and uh, the artist wanted you and wanted Gary and Mm -hmm. um, you guys came in and within like 10 minutes, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is better than LA because you guys were not only had the same standards and played at the same high levels, but you guys brought in something that I didn't just never really heard, which was, um, a sensitivity to each other and to the music, and in, and a, and an, uh, and in the studio, which is a different place for that to happen. It's not like a live gig where everybody's loose and letting it fly. There's more what? of a focus in the studio where every note counts. And it was just, I just felt like, I can't believe this just came into my house and presented <laughs> itself to me because it was. It was. Uh, it completely changed the way I looked at where I'd chosen to live, and I went, okay, there aren't there. The Granger Brothers aren't all over the place here, uh, but but they do exist, um, right? And um, that that was a that was so yeah. That would have been ninety four, and then I think the first record of mine that you played on was when Night Calls in ninety six, mm, and okay. uh, we recorded some of that, a lot of it in my studio, but you did some things in your own studio, Hillview, right? Yeah, that was a. A really great day and then the next I think we spent two or three more days recording and every, it was just so easy um
1: and for, for 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 us for Gary and I we you know we met a guy I remember on the ride back home going wow man this Ken is doing everything he's, he's got his studio in his house he's running his label he said, "This is what we should try to do." I mean, he's he's so organized because yeah, we played and everything, but we we weren't as the best, the most organized well, people well, in this. Place I think you,
0: I think you guys just, are, but it's that whole business thing is another set of things to do. And even back then, honestly, Greg, I used to fight with. I literally felt like I was pulling one hat off and putting another on. I found it very difficult, you know, and and. Um, uh, it just musicians really want to be musicians and want to focus on being creative, and it takes a lot to do that job well. And um, <laughs> it, it, it's not easy to do that. And I, I've learned over time, you know, to kind of
1: I agree, I definitely agree. Well, that's that was the like I said, the inspiration to uh get GBM records going, right? Right, um, which we released the CDs on, our CDs on, and a few other CDs as well.
0: Oh, yeah, you guys were producing other things. Well, th- I'm humbled to hear that because that. For me to have any part in that is, is uh, really nice to hear. Well, so, we, so then we went through a period where we did a lot of stuff together. And then I don't think we worked on anything together for probably eight, 16, 17 years. And wow. um, I know, uh, r- hard to believe. Um, yeah. but, um, but then with this new album... I, um, I don't really, I, I, to be honest, I don't know why I said I want Greg on these. I just knew that it, I did. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I remember sending you the materials for two songs. One of them was the title track for my new album, Into the Light. The other was When We Dance. I did send you um, a pretty elaborate demo with a drum part um, yeah. and, and also a loop that was in there. Um, yes. Kind of meshed together. W- what's that like when you get something like that from an artist? I mean, do you do you take it like at face value, or do you immediately look at it like, okay, how can I make this better? Or tell tell me yeah. about that process.
1: Yeah, and each each one is is different. It's and whenever I get something from from you, I, I'll, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the program is pretty close to what you what you want Mm -hmm. you know you still you still leave there's still space for me to add my artistic feel to it and approach it as a drummer Mm -hmm. but if i hear let's say if the symbol is on the is on the and or the upbeat as opposed to the
0: downbeat Mm -hmm. and if if it does that
1: the second time
0: around then (laughs) you know i'm i meant it right
1: now where I might go into it, might be different, but that's going to be the feel for
0: sure, it. right? Um,
1: and and your demos, uh, form wise, are spot on. Um, I do sometimes get things where someone will just send me, um, a, a, a loop,
0: right? That's all it is, yeah,
1: yeah, they'll send me a loop and then they'll send me a note saying that they. I don't want it to sound like the loop, but, <laughs> but make it feel like you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I just don't know where to go with that. Um, um, there have been times when I've gotten that, and then I get to the studio, mm-hmm. and they're really good at, uh,
0: at directing me. They're good producers. They know. They do know what they want. They just don't don't write it down very well, per se.
1: Right. They don't write it down, or yeah. they don't whatever it is. Yeah. But. Then
0: um, I've
1: had I've had times when I've gotten that, and then I'll get to the studio, and then they still can't give right. me the direction. Right. and you so, have
0: to. I would imagine you try things until a light a light bulb goes off for them that that's that's what they want.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Or until I just go, okay, this is in my mind. I'm thinking, all right, I'm gonna be the producer for this. Right. This is the fifth take.
0: Right. Right.
1: I don't. This person is happy, so this feels good to me. Let me make sure yeah. that I clock the stuff that I need to clock. Right, if, right. Uh, if it works for me, then I'm, I've got to go that way. But they're each different. They are mm-hmm. so different. Yes, it's, it's 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 incredible. So it's always a pleasure that when I get something um, that's very close, uh, like when we dance. Because then what that, what that did. What I remember when I got that song and when I heard the loop, um, it felt how can i say it there was a drive there Mm -hmm. was there was a motion
0: yeah forward momentum kind of thing yeah
1: yeah and so i remember thinking that whatever i played I, i definitely wanted to capture that and then i didn't want to get in the way of that
0: was the other thing I wondered about I did I I think I separated the loop out for you too I think so that you could just sort of hear what the loop was doing as opposed <laughs> to my drum programming what's that like when when you have a loop that you're now trying to coexist with I yeah. mean do you, do you do you obviously you're going to be sensitive to it but do you also sort of think well I can't let this make my decisions for me because that's not what the listener going to hear they might feel it but they're not, they're gonna hear what I'm doing. How, how do you, how, in this, I guess maybe it's just about this specific case, how did you absorb it with this one?
1: Yeah, no, it's exactly, it's the part of, um, they're gonna feel it. Mm-hmm. And so whenever the, I, I have a, a song with a loop in it, um, I try to approach my part so that it complements the loop, um, not just play. Anything that I want to play, because the artist—I mean, the audience—is going to feel it,
0: right? M- right. More
1: than necessarily hear it. I mean, there are a lot of—I mean, Alchemy, gosh, a lot of grooves. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I started working with them was the other guy just had a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of a hard time playing with the sequencer mm-hmm. or it feel a certain way, right? Right. So. Yeah, that that is my approach. When I heard your loop, and and you, you're great because you gave me something with no bass, and I, I could actually hear how the drums in the loop
0: were working together.
1: Were together. Yeah, yeah. Then it allowed me to go uh, okay, definitely want to approach it this way because of the feel of the loop. I don't. I definitely again. My main focus was not to get in the way of that momentum. Um, I remember the kick pattern being. Very, it wasn't something that if you had said, "Greg, put a beat to this song," it wasn't something I would have picked.
0: Or right. I would have played. Right. But
1: what you programmed and the way it worked with the loop kept the momentum going. Boom, got. Right. <laughs> right. So I was like, and I was when I heard it, I was like, "Hey, this is actually pretty cool, and it's actually funky." You know. So um um, yeah, not getting in the way, not changing the feel that the loop is creating Right, right. So is important for me.
0: Uh, yeah, well, no, it really shows because if the listener, I may even take a little bit of the loop and splice it into our, our podcast just so people can hear what the loop sounded like. Because when they hear the song, I'm sure they don't think there's any loop at all. You know, right. it just sounds like you're, I mean, it is the, 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 the feeling and the momentum of it and it is what you're doing. The loop is almost, to me, more about a vibe, you know? I think sound can create a, a, a kind of an atmosphere too. So sometimes right. for me, a loop isn't even, it isn't just about the rhythmic elements, it's about the overall sonic aura that it creates, you know, um, <laughs> you know and, and that was the other thing that you worked totally in sync with, I, I, it makes it sound like there's nothing there. But if you mute that loop, then you mm-hmm. go, oh, we just took away some of the, a certain amount, a certain spirit is not quite there. It's subtle because I ended up, once your tracks were in the loop, it's definitely 75, 25, even in terms of volume. You know, wow. so, um, and I can't remember. I think with the loop, I did for after the fact, after you'd recorded and I was mixing, I think I actually went through. And re that loop, taking out certain elements altogether, so that you would just hear the the things I wanted you to hear. Uh, okay. And I can't—I'd have to—I'll have to go back and look myself. You know how that is when you're in the midst of a mixing thing. You you make just you make choices, and and some of them happen months before you you're finally finished, and you don't even remember what you did. You just know that. That's how it's supposed to be now, you know? Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. And the frequencies, I mean, I could be locked in, but you probably felt a frequency or heard something that, no, I need to lighten this up or take the low end out because it would change everything.
0: Exactly, and my, and I felt my job was to make sure that everything you did now, whereas you were looking at it like, i got to make sure that everything I do works with this loop, I took the opposite tact. Once you were done with your part, and said, "I have to make sure everything about this loop doesn't get in the way of Greg's drums." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was a different. In other words, it does what I wanted to do. It creates a feeling, but now Greg's leading this, not not the loop. Um, right. And I wanted that to to be there. And you know, one of the things that um, we did with this, we recorded um, at at a, a studio where we were able to record you. And Gary at the same time. Mm. I know you and Gary have have worked mm. together. I mean, I was recounting that back in '94, uh, but you guys have worked together. You probably can't even count how many times you've done things. But what what was that like? I mean, are you are you listening to Gary with all the things you're listening to in a situation like that? Are you listening to Gary? Are you really focused on him? Are you leading Gary? or is you working with him somewhat the other way around where where he's really taking your lead and figuring yeah. out where he should go based on what you your choices it's interesting
1: it's interesting that you asked that question because I, it just i think it just happens we've been playing together for such a long time mm-hmm. even from Working out and jamming in the basement, you know him pretty much helping me. <laughs> wow! Come.
0: I would have loved up been a fly in the wall way back then when you guys were like sixteen and twenty five, or what? But are you eight years apart? We're 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 six years apart. Six years, okay. So he could have been, of you could have been fifteen, and he could have been twenty one, which is two very different ages, you know. I, <laughs> Spot on. I didn't get my set until I was 13, so wow. you're absolutely right. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: But yeah, no, so I think it just kind of happened naturally when we're in the studio, when we're playing. I will, it's, it's like whatever he's playing, I can feel when... When it's working or mm-hmm. when it's not working, mm-hmm. it won't be a thing of "Well, okay, Kegary's on the on this on on the end of three, so I'm going to stick something on here." Right. We just right. we just feel it, and I know I know that we adjust mm-hmm. at this at at different times because I know during the playback when we go back to listen after that first take, it's always mm-hmm. after that first, mm-hmm. first. I know he's listening to see at least I'm listening to see if what I'm doing is. Is kind of catching him, and, and mm-hmm. I can tell that he's doing the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and I know this because he might say something like, "Yeah, give me a, give me some more hi hat," and then I'll say something like, uh, give, uh, pull that out and bring the bass up a little bit, bring those chords down a little bit, right, but right. It just happened naturally." Um, on this song, um, I think it was one of the things. It, this song was one of the ones where it just happened naturally, but. I will say that I did focus on the melody of the mm-hmm, guitar
0: mm-hmm.
1: while recording. Well, this. you
0: know, this comes right back to all the work you've done with singers. I think, you know, that <laughs> uh, that that focus on what what's going on with the melody. Uh, yeah, and again, this is why, you know, there are drummers who. Maybe do deserve a little bit the that silly stereotype that drummers aren't really musicians, but that's not you. You you really are the full the whole picture, and I don't I that totally makes sense to me that you would just kind of find your focus there because that's how you're you're listening to how you fit as part of a big picture, uh, and that that's so appreciated, and I can tell. Believe me, I mean, I've listened to that song. I'm glad people really like it, but I've heard it enough, <laughs> uh, and, you know? and, and I, But I know every little thing. I, can, I hear every little nuance of you playing attention to the melody. Um, yeah. It's even in the fills. Uh, I, can, I can hear that the choice of the fills is, and you know, uh, based on what's going on, not just because there's a hole in the melody, but you're finishing yeah. the melody sometimes. <laughs> Get the melody from here to here um, yeah and, and I mean yeah
1: we're working with working with different singers you're absolutely right it's it's about supporting what the vocalist is doing not getting in the way right. of what of what the vocalist in in this and in, in the case of this song the vocals lead vocals is your guitar, the, guitar is not right. the way of what you're doing and also uh, helping to give that energy
0: right right but well, doing. we did. We definitely recorded... I mean, we did takes, for sure. And right. we, we also punched in a few things here and there because there were some, some moments. For example, there's a string quartet on the song. And there were some very specific places where I wanted you to be really in sync with them or to bring out something that was happening. So I think we punched a few of those places. But the point I'm making is we really had performances And what happens when you do that is there's this organic thing for four minutes that you can feel it's, it's, it's got, it's not just the momentum, it's got a life, you know, it may only be a four minute life, but it's there, (laughs) you know, which is not captured with drum machines and all that, no matter how you program them. And it's also not captured when you're doing, okay, we got a good chorus, let's paste it here and here, you know, it feels like you're playing, like you're giving a performance. And uh, the punching in gives us the ability to make sure it's the ideal performance because people are gonna listen to it over and over and over again. So why would we have a moment that could be better if we could make it a little better, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, What was it like dealing with that string quartet? Did you have to kind of focus on that sometimes or was that more of a peripheral, I can't say it right, you know what I mean, element that was there but not that much of a focus?
1: Yeah, no. For me, that just became another part of the the, the percussion uh, thing that I had to lock into. I wasn't necessarily listening to the notes, but I was going with the feel of what they were playing, and that that was my lock. You know, that's that's the approach that I use for a lot of things. I.e., the uh, the the click becomes just part of the percussion feel of the song. It's not a click. Yeah, well... So I, the same approach for the yeah.
0: Well, now, yeah. when you... That, that Talking about singers, I mean, you had a period, and it was a key time in her career, Whitney Houston, where you were playing with Whitney Houston. Um, right. What was that? I'm sure you'd worked with singers before, but working with a singer of that talent right. uh, and yeah. skill level, too. Talk about that a little bit. Well, that must have been a, a an amazing experience because you were part of, like when she was becoming huge, um, right? That was in the late 80s, if I'm remembering right, that you were that with was, her? Yeah.
1: 1988, I, I want to dance with somebody. I wow. mean, the first gig.
0: The whole thing my, is opening up. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, uh, The
1: first gig with her was the, the 1988 Grammys, uh, <laughs> the one that was done live oh, in Radio right. City Music Hall. Oh my
0: yeah. gosh, wow. That,
1: that was a dream gig. That was a blessing gig. Oh, and yeah. just so happened that the, the musical director heard me at Mr. Henry's playing behind Julia Nixon. Another
0: Mr. Sanctuary.
1: Henry's in D.C.? Mr. Henry's in D.C. Oh, he my came.
0: gosh. Wow. I, I think the tour
1: manager, whatever reason why they needed a drummer, I think the tour manager, this is what I found out. Mm-hmm. Told him to go to Mr. Henry's and check out the band Listen and check out this. the drummer.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. We talked on the break. Um, he told me that he played keyboards. He said, "Yeah, man, we'll give me your information because I might need a drummer I might, I might
0: We might work together sometime." <laughs> wow! And got the call the next day, but
1: um, doing that gig and working with Whitney mm-hmm. and this is—I mean, Whitney—Whitney Whitney was a workaholic, but in a fun way. Like mm-hmm. after after rehearsals, mm-hmm. we would just. I, myself, uh, John, uh, the the musical director, mm-hmm. and Whitney, maybe a couple, maybe the guitars, but we would mm-hmm. stay back because mm-hmm. she would just want to jam
0: mm-hmm. on
1: stuff. She might start singing a Michael Jackson song, right. and then we jump in there with her. Wow! And she, her thing was just about grooving and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember uh, on the gig because I had to watch. I got I learned how to watch the singers mm-hmm. because. For, for, well, for one thing, they're always in front of me because of right. the setup on stage. Right, right. But the other thing is that you can tell by their body language how the emotion is, that, what they're feeling. hmm and, and I would try to go with them and help them to get there, and we mm-hmm. would get there a lot of times together. Um, but I could also tell when Whitney was really grooving on something, she would hold a mic, Um But she would always um, keep her time with her fingers. It would be Mm -hmm. one, two, three, four. But then that was her click. And she even told me after a gig, because she always wore this ring.
0: Uh, wow. So that was one, part of it. The way that felt, or just it was a rhythmic thing to her. Yeah, I guess yeah. So. I mean I, I heard it at a rehearsal when I was trying to figure I knew it wasn't me. And then
1: that's <laughs> when I noticed it was her. She, yeah. she said, Yeah, Greg Granger, this is my click. See? Wow. This is how I this is right. how I'm playing with you while I'm singing. Yeah. Right. So wow. It was a lovely time. That was my first time um going overseas during mm-hmm. first time doing a European tour. Um, being able to perform at the Nelson Mandela Freedom Fest,
0: wow!
1: And Wembley's these
0: historical events.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, it was, it was definitely a dream gig. And, and you were I like your late
0: what. late twenties, or must have been. Ooh, yeah, actually,
1: eighty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would have been 28, 29. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And w- um, as far as musically, what would you say the key things you learned? From working with her, were as opposed to other singers.
1: Yeah, um, I, to always wow. That's a that's a good question. That's a good question. I, I remember that no matter how I felt. I mean, I'm, I hate to say this, but there were some local gigs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If I didn't really feel on my A game, mm-hmm. yeah, I might, I might not bring all of my energy to it. I did my mm-hmm. gig well. Mm-hmm what I realized on the Whitney gig and watching all the other musicians and watching her, there would be times when she didn't feel uh, well for whatever reason, or we just had a long travel and right, everybody sure. did that. And then you get there and you, you you have 80, 60,000 people out there. You still <laughs>
0: find the adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. You still have to bring it. You still right, have to right. give,
1: you have to give 110%
0: yeah.
1: all the time. Um you, at that time, the whole organization was, was on a very professional tip um, mm-hmm. as far as being on time, um, showing up for things early. Um, and it gave me a, a different approach as far as how to handle myself professionally. Right. At right. Um, being able to um, relate to people because here... Uh, before that gig, after after I do, did my thing, I would just go to wherever, get a Coca Cola from the bar, and sing it tell with them. But yeah. because you're part of her band, the whole unit had to communicate with people right. and understand people and appreciate and not take anything uh, for for granted. Or you know, mm-hmm. how, yeah. learning how to how to connect.
0: Right, and, right, and, and, and all and, over the world, people from a lot of different cultures. Yeah, you know, she was an international artist almost from the beginning.
1: Yeah, no, no, it was. It, it, you're absolutely right.
0: All <laughs> you're absolutely right.
1: They loved her in
0: Japan, but well, they loved her everywhere. But I just yeah. remember
1: because we spent a month in Japan, and I remember I would meet uh, some of her fans. Everybody singing English to all mm-hmm. her songs. Mm-hmm. We would meet them, and no one spoke a nick right, of English Right,
0: right. But they <laughs> phonetically knew everything. As far as if it was in the song, they knew it. Yeah, yeah, wow,
1: wow. But no, it was it was was a great gig. I mean, and a lot of them. I
0: mean, all of all of
1: the musicians were were very uh, very professional, and they were all from different parts of the country. So, uh,
0: who was playing bass on that? So, uh, the bass player was Ricky Minor. Oh, you're kidding! A very young Ricky Minor, too. Young Ricky Minor, yeah, Ricky.
1: Yep, he became the bass player. And eventually he became the the, the new musical director. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow, interesting. Now, up to that time, while I'm sure you'd played with a lot of different bass players, I got to believe that Gary was at the top of the heap as far (laughs) as what you considered the standard of what you would want to play with. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that must have been interesting because obviously he's another great bass player, but he's a different kind of bass player. Um, you know, and was there an, a uh, was that an easy change to make, uh, just from having had to adjust many other times? Or was there something about that that, you know, it took, you had to play a little differently to make sure that it, it worked with what Ricky was doing?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's another good question. I think what would help with that is because we were playing Whitney's songs, you know? Right.
0: So you, you kind of had, you knew what they were supposed to sound like. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. We knew how how it should feel, and there were there were a few times when um, we would make adjustments. You know, I might make adjustment, or he may make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like we we never did like a jam gig that right, thing. We'd right, Just go out and jam. Then I it would have been a whole different. Oh yeah, or tr- if
0: you guys were coming up with the arrangements, but you you know you knew from the records this is pretty much what we're supposed to be doing here. So. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You're coming, you're both sharing a common ground rather than having to find it. You know, you yeah. knew what it was. <laughs> now, I yeah. will
1: say that th- th- then back then we did not use, there were no clicks. There was yeah. no sequencing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. None, none of, of that. that stuff. Yeah. So yes.
1: yeah, it was very um, careful or conscious about the tempo, about
0: right. Staying, staying Right, Because that was your job, right? I mean, ultimately, no matter what the musical director counted it off as, if they didn't get it right, you pretty much had to straighten it out. <laughs> I'm curious, did Whitney ever step into that, like the way a singer can when they don't like a tempo? <laughs> or, or no. she it was pretty she pretty good. That. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and that was the other part of kind of watching her yeah. as well, you know, because... Over time, I could kind of see or feel when her energy would be different if if the tempo wasn't right. But John, John was—he was, was, he was really pretty deep.
0: good at it. Yeah.
1: When there were when I first joined, I think there was one or two times when he would tell me, "Okay, you got to be right on. Mm-hmm. Everybody's upbeat and downbeat when they're conducting or bringing you in is a little different. Right, right. I just the get used to when he would count me in using his hand from his across style, the day. Yeah. He
0: wanted you to know his style was not like, like some conductors where everything is coming in after it looks like, but he <laughs> means it. If he puts his goes down on one, he means one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I understand. I've seen the whole gamut, um, myself. It took me a while. The first time I ever did a session where I was part of basically a, a large orchestra. You know, right. it was like, what is he doing up there? I mean, that doesn't look like where I think it is. You know, you, you, that's a whole different thing, obviously. Yeah, know? but but
1: but it's but it's a it's a good point. I remember um, when I was studying at uh, at Peabody, and mm-hmm. we did something with the uh, Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, some type of Christmas program where right. I had to play drums. Right. And first time ever working with a conductor, and everything was on the up for him. Is I guess his downbeat was on the up, but it just... And I kept trying to make the downbeat the downbeat, which is... I know. The it, I did that The more he sped up, the more I sped up. Yeah, and,
0: yeah, yeah, it, I, I know.
1: Well, eventually what a conductor friend did explain to me a couple of years after that, mm-hmm. uh, was he said that they pretty much know that the the, the orchestra is going to have its tempo. And he said a lot of times... I don't know how true this is, this yeah. is what he told me. Oh, said, yeah. A lot of times it's 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 just a look. Oh, it's I just, see. But we make right. sure we cue the certain parts and we make sure this is happening. But as far as the actual conducting, we are, are relying on the orchestra to do what it does
0: naturally. Right, anyway. right, exactly. So that's, which made sense when he said yeah. that. For me, you know, the sound of the drums is so mm-hmm. important. And I really believe that one kick drum sound and one snare drum sound can radically change not just the way the the feel of something rhythmically but the way it, the mood of it, you know? And you nice. just nailed the drum sounds, particularly the snare drum on When We Dance. Was, was that a conscious choice, or did you kind of just know, you know, what, what you wanted the snare drum to sound like for that song? And, and, and what are those decisions? Is it sound? <clears throat> excuse me. Is it sound? Is it the duration of the drum itself or the tuning of the drum? Or is it all those things somehow wrapped up together?
1: Right. Well, I know for me, the my comfort zone is a kick, snare, and hat. Um, there there are certain songs where I will uh, tighten the snare drum and have it pretty cracking and tight. First of all, the instrument, I mean, you have to have good. Starts with that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I am a Pearl artist, but even Pearl, they know that I play a Brady snare drum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they know that my Brady drum is pretty special. They actually...
0: Is that um, what we're hearing on When We Dance, the Brady?
1: that Brady, that's my baby. That That drum goes with me
0: everywhere. I've gotten more comments, by the way, on that snare drum from musicians. (laughs) They go, how did you get that snare drum sound? I said, well, I mean, it's the drum. It's Greg, you know. And then I just made sure that I complimented in every way that I could and kept it. You know, so you could always hear it clearly. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean, and I'll get back to your question, but the yeah. the funny, the quick story behind that Brady, because I got it in '88 oh, when I wow. was with Houston. Yeah. I basically I, I went. A gentleman took me to the Brady factory, mm-hmm. and apparently he did this with a lot of artists, a lot of their drummers that would come in town, and then on the way home he would hit them up for tickets. Right. Uh, and um I saw this this 12-inch and it was a prototype mm-hmm. at that time. And when I hit it, it was so different. This was 1988. It was about big, thick, deep, right, you know, that's right. Drums, put the wallet on it, that whole vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh the gentleman Chris Brady um no he knew that I was interested in that drum. Anyway, he pulled me aside, he explained to me what was going on and he said I didn't ask him to bring you here, but I'd like you, you're a great guy, and this is what's going to happen. And on the way back, when the gentleman did hit me up for tickets that he never gave to the Brady people, Mm -hmm. I told him I could give him two, (laughs) but I was able to talk to the tour manager and get the Brady company. Everybody got tickets, everybody got backstage passes, everybody was able to go and meet Whitney, and when he came to the show, he brought me that prototype as a gift. Wow. I didn't use it because it sounds so different for a yeah, few years.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When we finally take it on a gig, and I'm playing my, my, what I think I'm doing the best I can do, and at the end of the gig, you're absolutely right. I had so many people come up and say, man, that snare drum. You know, I think they're going to say, man, that, that solo was killing on me, and that <laughs> But they said, man, that snare drum. And from that point out, I was like, okay, this drum is definitely special. It definitely yeah. has a sound of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so using it on that song, I mean, I use it on all the songs, but I can loosen it depending on the sound of the song. And, it, right. and it'll give it a nice, fat feel. Right. When we dance, I wanted it to have a crack yes, and, and exactly. a pop to it. Yep. Uh, I guess because of the syncopated beat in there.
0: God. Right. Well, it's a little different because you're, you're, there's, instead of two and four, <laughs> you know it's a constant pattern um, yeah. but but it's it syncopates every single bar basically you know yeah but it syncopates but the flow still continues oh yeah yeah i forget about i forget about it you made it sound very natural i forget about it as the song's going through
1: practicing when we were doing the different takes um I, I i i think i may have tried some fills that i thought were slick you know mm-hmm. just one or two places and it felt to me like it was getting in the way yeah it, it didn't help the song it would have been cool yeah drummer to hear oh that's a nice triplet thing there right but right it didn't help the song and whenever i'm recording or playing I'm trying to help the song. My thing is, I want to push the song along, or drive the song, or help the song be what it should be. At least, that's my approach to it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those those fills, along with the melody, the when we, I guess, about the second or third time, it just felt like the fills should be able to allow the melody to. I don't know, to launch from it or um compliment it if it's coming in at the end of it, whatever you're playing. Right. Without right. in the weight of it. You know, it wasn't about a fancy chop thing. It was about more of making sure that the song still felt good.
0: Yeah. Well, and it makes sense too, because you know, you can you you should start, I think, by stretching. And then, you know, either you take your cue from the producer or the artist, whichever it is, and uh Uh, and your own sense of like, well, that didn't really work, but I'm glad I tried it because now I know that, you know, (laughs) but, but uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And even right from the beginning, I mean, you played these pickups right at the beginning, uh, which is really the snare and Tom that I just thought were so perfect. But I think that was the only take that you played that. I don't recall that being played every single time. I'd have to go back and, and listen to all the takes, I guess. But um, <laughs> it was obvious that that was the one.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I play in my fills. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to Sessions. Yeah, I, I'm playing the song. Um, I'm vibing off of what Gary's doing and vibing off of what's going on in the track. There might be a certain group of fills that... Eventually, I realized that this this type of fill or these groups or these ideas work better for a particular song right. as a, as opposed to the ones that I've tried. Like you said, stretch out a little bit and you go, nah, For this song, these aren't the ones.
0: Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. And the yeah. ride symbol, and it's an interesting ride symbol. It's not a not one that's like a bell sound. It's 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 sort of a cross between a bell. And I don't want to say jazz because it's not that kind of a ride symbol, but it's got it's got some sizzle to it at the same time. But it's got clarity also. Was that a conscious choice picking that specific ride symbol?
1: Yes, yes, it was. Again, again, it's about having the right equipment. I, I, I'm a Sabian artist, and um, I like their their cross. They have something called a uh, um, a leopard ride. They have mm. something. Called a high bell ride, where they have a nice mix of hand hammered um, and machine. Which um, for that song, it I definitely definitely needed a symbol that gave, gave me a stick attack, right? With with some overtone, but not an overtone that would eventually build and wash out the sound. Wow, and, well, yeah. that,
0: that's really interesting to hear because that's exactly what it was, which was great because it was not. I, I think I would have been disappointed. It would have been easier to mix. So initially I would have gone, oh, great, that'll be easy to mix. But it right. would not have been the same appealing sound if it had been all the bell kind of a thing. And I, I don't know if, if you noticed this or not, but you did these wonderful cymbal swells that are what make up the end of the song. Um, I mean, it's almost 10 seconds worth of these cymbal <laughs> things that are going on as the song... Dissipates and, and, and fades on the last chord. But man, that's like all of that cymbal stuff. I, I wanted to make sure, I worked really hard to make sure the listener could hear everything you did at the end. Um, mm. I think the, nah. ra- the radio edit brings, you know, gets out of it a little sooner because I know they're going to do that anyway. So I'm, I may as well be the one who decides how that's going to happen. Um, but on the album, it's the full thing, you know? <music>
1: Well, thank you, thank you. No, I I did notice that. I did notice that on the fade <laughs> that the symbol because I was I was expecting the symbols to be to fade out, sooner. kind of
0: get disappeared, <laughs> right?
1: But no, man, and I appreciate that. Thank you,
0: Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my pleasure, and it, it was it was easy. Yeah. It was relatively easy to do. Well, Greg, this has been great. I really appreciate you you giving me some of your time and um, and not only sharing, you know. Uh, your work method and your process on a song like when we dance and how you specifically worked with that, but talking a little bit about some of your experiences uh, like with Whitney Houston and, and um, just coming up in general, you, you're, you're, we'll have to do this again and just do like an interview about you and, and, and your, your, you know, your life story. Uh, in music, because I, th- I think people who listen to my podcast would be just as interested in that uh, mm-hmm. as, as to hear how you contributed to this song. And that was my conversation with the wonderful drummer Greg Granger. Very happy to connect with Greg again. So happy to have him on some of the cuts on my new album, Into the Light and uh, if you want to get in touch with greg i'm going to include his email address as part of the detailed notes uh, with this podcast he's available for session work he's available for touring when that comes up again but you can hire him by remote to do a session for you on drums plus he and his wonderful bass player brother Gary Granger who work together a lot are both available to do recordings by remote and they make one powerful rhythm section as I think my records can attest to so thanks again for checking out my podcast And if you haven't already, don't forget to give my album Into the Light a spin at Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music. You can pick up an autographed copy of the CD at my website, www.kennavarro.com. Of course, it's available at Amazon and iTunes and all the usual places. So I look forward to talking to you on the next one. Take care, everybody. Stay safe and stay well.